0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Care Home Option podcast series. I'm Gabriella Wills and with me as always is our producer, Drew Rice.
1: Hello, Gabriella. Hello, everyone.
0: Today, and we are nearing the end of the series, we are going to venture into uh, a topic which is considered more challenging to talk about, more challenging in in any aspect, uh, whether it is in providing care or indeed to go through, whether as the person themselves or as a relative, which is end of life and end of life care.
1: Which is a little bit scary to think about, but as they say, end of life is part of life itself.
0: It is, and it is the one thing in life that we know will come. I know and uh, I'm very aware that not everybody is comfortable with talking about the subject and what we will try to do today is really to introduce the main aspects and why they're so important and of course it is then up to our listeners, everybody will take their own way through but what we try to do throughout this uh, series is really to give the information, give the insight and hopefully People can then tap into it as and when it becomes relevant to them. I would like to start by just saying a little bit about my own journey and my own introduction to end of life, to death, um, which came when I was around, in, in my early 20s, I was studying to be a nurse and went through the various wards and and departments in hospital at the time, from A&E to uh, what was then called geriatric wards. We don't have them anymore, thankfully, as far as I know. I was fortunate to work on a ward that was for people uh, for open heart surgery, which in the early 80s was not as routine or commonplace as it is now. And with that came the confronting, you know, the people dying. Sometimes, you know, it was um, very old people who naturally came to the end of their life. Although being in hospital, obviously, they, they needed some type of care. And at other times, it was people who very sadly um, came to the end of their life much earlier due to whether illness or accident and again I witnessed how how important it is to get it right both for the person who is confronting and going through this and facing the end of life and of course for the family those who are left behind so to speak after and that even though I didn't realize it at the time really gave me a sort of a a special interest in that area of life really it is as you said before Drew it is part of life and we dedicate time and thinking and planning and money into every aspect of our life throughout our lives so it deserves its own if you like investment even if it is in terms of recognizing it and to be able as much as is possible to have some influence about how it can maybe be improved or made as best as it can be which of course isn't always guaranteed we don't know but we can try so this is what i will try and introduce today
1: well i have a a a couple of experiences with end of life. One of them was my great uncle and I went to see him in hospital and he was lying there and I gave him a kiss and uh, he didn't move and um, I went to see his daughter who was sitting around the corner and as I went around the corner I suddenly realized that he he felt quite cold and um, his daughter was crying and it hit me He'd just passed away a few minutes ago. He wasn't covered up Mm. with a sheet. He was just lying in bed. And it shocked me that I'd suddenly been with someone who was so much part of my life and then, thankfully, peacefully, at an old age, had passed. Very, A very powerful experience.
0: Yes, it is. And... Again, some people encounter it very early in life, somebody who they know and for others maybe not or not at all and not so close. Um, But again, we are addressing here, and thank you for sharing that, Drew, we are addressing either the person who themselves will go through something, whether it's a care home and, again, end of life, uh, or the people around them. And our hope is that we can somehow make it as peaceful and good an experience for all of those concerned. So before I go into explaining what is end of life and where is it provided, I would like to first be a little bit blunt and say, let's not be afraid to say, death let's not be afraid to talk about it because it is so important and as I just said we talk about everything else we plan everything else it can make a huge difference to everyone if the end of life somebody's imminent is dealt with and if they can have a say in the support that they will want to get during this time and not so I would ask or suggest to our listeners you may have reasons that you don't want to talk about it some people are scared of death Uh, it can be something to do with uh, religious or other beliefs that it is not right to talk about it or maybe the other people wouldn't like to talk about it for their own reasons but if at all possible it would be great to have the conversations as early as possible and we will try and guide a little bit about what those conversations can be about.
1: Yeah it's difficult but let's get going.
0: Let's get going. So the first question is who is at the end of life? And when we talk about it in the context of care and support, whether it's in a hospital or in a care home or indeed in somebody's home, a person is considered to be at the end of life or approaching the end of life if they either have a life-limiting condition that is likely to shorten their life if they are gradually getting frailer and frailer, and it is obvious that their active life and their body is in some way shutting down as we sometime uh, talk about it. And the guide that is used in health and in social care uh, that people can kind of use themselves is if the person died within the next 12 months, would you be surprised? And it is not just a matter of age, because somebody can be 90, but they're very active. And of course, if they suddenly died, that may not be out of, of the ordinary. But If they're very active and they have no illness or anything that's worrying us, if they suddenly died, it would be, oh, we didn't think they were approaching the end of life. So these are the kind of parameters that people can start to think about that. So when somebody is at the stage of end of life, for whichever reason I mentioned, end of life support can be provided and will be provided by a multitude of people, a GP, maybe a palliative nurse, carers, whether they are coming to one's home or whether they are in a care home, whether it's family or other, maybe specialists if they're receiving some care because, or treatment even, because of a a condition such as cancer, for example. And what the aim of of end-of-life care is, is to support the person as best as is possible through those last days, weeks, months of their life, to make the quality of life as best as possible, to enable them to do as much as possible if they can, um, and of course to make them as comfortable as possible. So if they have difficulties, for example, with breathing, or they have wounds that need to be dressed and treated, or they have pain or any other symptoms, that they are all addressed to the point that the person has the least discomfort as possible. This is what, when we talk about palliative care, which is part of -of end-of-life care, Palliative care comes in when there isn't a cure, there isn't the notion that if we do this, we can somehow prolong the person's life or cure them from the condition, whether it's a natural old age frailty or whether it is actually a, a known condition, such as, let's say, cancer or motor neuron disease and a lot of heart condition where people are told, It is now terminal, it is final, there is no cure, we can't make it better. What we can do is try and manage any symptoms and enable you to be as pain or or, or symptom free as is possible. What we don't want to see is that all we focus on is just the palliative care, the management of symptoms. Because people can still participate. So in a care home, for example, uh, more and more, we see people being brought out into the lounge or into the garden, even if it is in their bed, if they are now bed-bound. They don't necessarily are, but uh, we may want friends and family to come and be with them. Uh, And anything else that can be done to support them in their life, Uh, to make sure that it is also the the, the emotional side of nearing the end of their life is addressed. Some people I've met throughout all these years are ready. They are ready to the next stage as they see it uh, and want to wait for it to come and are at peace. Others may be scared maybe need some religious or other comfort, and it is up to carers to, to arrange for that to happen. Some people have unfinished business, family or other that they would like to, to deal with before, before they um, leave this world, or even financial arrangements to make sure that they leave everything as they want it. Not everybody is able to do that, whether physically or cognitively. Um, but we need to be aware that if we can help somebody to come to terms and to be ready, then, then we're doing a good thing. And that is what I see as end-of-life care. It is a holistic way of supporting somebody in the final days, weeks or months of their life.
1: So when we're at the stage, the last stage of our life, w- w- ideally, or where can we get the best palliative care?
0: Palliative care, as I said, is part of end-of-life care. Um, and both can actually be provided almost anywhere the person is. So let's take a scenario with somebody has been going through um, cancer. If there is no more active treatment, then most of what they need can be done at home because people like a nurse, a palliative nurse, they may come from a local hospice. Um, Everything can be brought to the person. Not everybody feels that it is the option for them but it is something that I think is very important for people to to know because hospice places are actually very few and most of hospice care, which provide, provides palliative care, is done in people's homes. So if somebody is facing that and they are currently living at home or being discharged from hospital, the GP would probably be the best person to go to and to discuss who they should then arrange for whatever is needed. If a person is in a care home already then it is likely that the care home will be able to provide the end-of-life care. It is important to ask the question is this home able to provide end-of-life care and what that means is do they have connections with the GP, with maybe a hospice or other community palliative nurses? And do they have the staff to to do that? And some homes, I think few, I think most homes for older people will now do that. But some may say we're not a nursing home, therefore we can't. But Drew, if we think about, we talked about it before, the, the demographics of the people the, the population of care homes for older people are mostly the very very old so anyone who is a permanent resident is likely to die whilst they are a resident of that care home so most care homes provide end-of-life care for people who are already residing there some care homes i would suggest probably nursing care homes may also take people in when they are now at the end of life. So really people who maybe are in hospital, they're nearing the end of their life. Maybe it's quite imminent. Maybe they they don't need to be in a hospital. Maybe they don't want to be in a hospital. Let's be honest. Hospital is not the most homely environment for very obvious reasons. And they may want to go into a care home because going to their own homes may not be an option for a variety of reasons. In that point when the person is not known to the home, they come new and they now require end-of-life care, some care homes that are non-nursing may feel that it's too much for them but a nursing home may be able to do that. So as I said between one, someone's home, a care home, hospital, and hospice, all these places can provide um, end-of-life care. So wherever uh, end-of-life care is provided, I did mention earlier the uh, sim- management of symptoms and you know, things like, for example, oxygen for somebody, uh, dressing of wounds that may be part of the condition, Um, And of course, pain management, which is, I think, something that most people are most concerned about. And most care homes should be able to provide all of these, whether it is from within the home or by somebody coming in. What is now part of end-of-life care? And again, if somebody is looking to go into a care home, whether they're already in there and this, um, the issue of end-of-life care is, is now becoming more relevant, it is important to try and find out from the home what they can and can't do. Dressings of specific things that come with certain conditions, may need to be done by a specialist nurse who will come in. Again, it needs to be accessed. Oxygen can be provided in non-nursing homes, although there may be homes that will say we don't do that, but there shouldn't be an issue other than having the right storage for the oxygen, uh, which is a little bit more specific. Pain management. Uh, There is now... uh, um, a more widely used term that is anticipatory medication. And it is the care home that together with the GP and the health team that are looking is looking after the person will have medication ready for the eventuality that it is required. And it may include morphine and strong medication that um, is needed when the time comes to that and it's not for everybody but some people are worried of course for for, for um, obvious reasons and even if the staff in the homes are not able to administer it there should be an arrangement that somebody will come and do it the one thing that I came across n- numerous times is that when the person is really in the last probably 24 to 48 hours of their life the body is shutting down in other words most functions stop and only essentials are kind of done by the body breathing is more shallow eating is probably not happening anymore and so is drinking and families for very obvious reasons, find that quite difficult because they feel that for somebody not to get any hydration for such a long time, it must be very uncomfortable. And there are scenarios where they then want the person to have an infusion of fluids. In other words, to give them fluids through their vein through an IV, intravenous. That cannot be given in a care home. I, I mentioned it here because I think that anyone who is considering that needs to consider and talk to the people about the home, about the issue about of fluids at the end of life. Is the person actually feeling and suffering? And what will be gained by... Him or her going into hospital for an IV? Will it prolong their life? Will they really make it more comfortable? Or are there other ways that any discomfort can be managed within a care home? There are others, and again, it is something that needs to be explored.
1: Others such as
0: so sometimes, well, very obviously, we can uh, wet somebody's lips and inside the, the the mouth. There is an option of I'm getting a bit technical here, but administering fluids just under the skin. It doesn't go into a vein and then the body will absorb it. So it's called subcutaneous under the skin hydration. You know, again, the the how effective it is. Is it worth doing? Not because of anything other than how somebody is allowed to be in the last 24 to 48 hours, some people want interventions and other people will want it to be more natural. And again, it will lead, leads me quite nicely to what we will talk in a minute, um, which is more about planning for it and knowing what the person would like. People who have a child going to be born sit down with a midwife and plan, do a a birth plan, what they think they would like. Of course, it can all change because things take their own course, but at least they have the opportunity to express and put down in writing what they would like. And there is no reason not to do that for the other end of the lifespan when somebody's getting ready to, to leave this world. One way of uh, documenting those wishes is uh, while putting together a lasting power of attorney. There is a particular section in there that allows the person, while uh, appointing an attorney, to, in a way, tell them what the preferences are. So just reminding uh, our listeners, we have spoken in one of the earlier um episodes about lasting power of attorney that needs to be done whilst the person still has capacity. uh, And that can be an opportunity. Otherwise, it will be done within the care home. It's not too late at any stage to do that.
1: And how can a family influence and guide how these last few hours will be structured?
0: Such an important question, Drew. Thank you. As we spoke before, uh, when we talked about dementia, when we talked about a care plan, as much as we can gain from the person themselves, the better. Because however much somebody else represents you, um, your voice should always be the loudest. And for that reason, there is. Ne- it is never too early to put things down as to these are my wishes. These documents, they don't have to be done with a solicitor, but they can be done very formally. They're referred to as living wills. They're referred to as advanced wishes, where a person on their own or together with their family can say when it comes to my care and support, when I'm no longer able to, maybe to express it, this is how I see things at the moment. And typically, it is, I would, you know, people say, I would like, if at all possible, to die in my own bed at home. Now, home can be your home with where you lived all your life, or that where you're living, or home, can be a care home where you lived for the last so many months or years. Uh, People can say, the most important thing for me is to be free of pain, so give me any medication that I needed. Others may say, don't give it to me until it is really, really necessary. I would like to have music. I would like to have my family with me. Endless kind of scenarios where people can say this is what I would like somebody may say if at all possible I want to be in a hospital because this is where I feel safe now of course whether they're admitted to hospital or not is not their decision but at least it will be known what they wish for again it is important to distinguish between I don't want treatment but you can't demand treatment, but you can say, I would like it. So um, some people will say, yeah, give me anything. Or I would like to my life to be prolonged for as long as possible. And other, one, other people may say, I would like not. But the, again, the, the decision to give treatment is always a medical one. So a very um, specific area of advanced wishes, which may then become something more formal, is people who say whether they would not want their life to be prolonged artificially. So, for example, people say, if the chances of me having a good quality of life, uh, if I lose consciousness. So, if you know, if I'm at the point of end of life care, I would not want to be artificially kept alive, whether it's through uh, a ventilator or other means. And of course, it is by degree. Somebody may say, if I'm very, very ill, um, or even when I'm at the end of life and I get pneumonia, I don't want to be treated by. Um, antibiotics, because if, if if it's going to take its course, I would rather be left. Of course, it's very individual, and whether things will always be followed, there may be other, particularly the medical team, who will have a say. But more and more, the wishes of the person are being taken into account, up until, obviously, up to a limit moving to the next stage which is a more formal document is what is often referred to as i'll start with the dnar do not attempt resuscitation the correct terminology is uh, do not attempt cardiopulmonary resuscitation the term that i like is allow natural death it is the same thing and what it means is again is a person is saying if my heart stops if I'm clinically dead I do not want uh, CPR uh, resuscitation to be done on me I want to be left to die and just to be clear, a DNAR or a allow natural death is not about bringing somebody's death forward. This is not about assisted suicide or anything like that, which of course is illegal in this country. What it is, is when somebody's dead, clinically dead, should there be some attempt to restart their heart and breathing. That's all actually it means. And many people, uh, particularly older age, or people who, whose quality of life is already maybe in severe decline, and where the chance of them regaining any quality of life post such an intervention is so small that it's actually not something that uh, is desired by themselves or others. I have to just emphasize that a medical team, a doctor, can sign a DNAR. It is a medical decision. There are very strict criteria of them deciding why and when this is uh, applicable. But of course, more and more, this is done in consultation with a person, with a family. And therefore, again, if somebody knows that should they die, they don't want to be brought back and then die again. They want to be left in peace it is very important to document it. Because if it is not in place there may be a situation where the staff in the care home will have to start um, resuscitation, call an ambulance and the person may go through something which is not like what you see on TV, that somebody is there and they do this and that, and 10 minutes later they're lying in bed having a cup of tea. In reality, uh, resuscitation requires quite a lot of force to be applied, and the outcome, a successful outcome, especially for somebody who is very old and frail and not in a hospital, is quite small. So, not everybody will want that done. And if it's not in place, it may be attempted. So if it is important to the person to avoid this in the right um, context, then it is very important to have that signed. It will be co-signed and it is a legal legal and formal document that has to be followed. If an ambulance crew is called, if there isn't a DNAR in place, They will be obligated to start CPR and they have no choice. So very, very important. Most care homes these days will have, they will prompt those conversations anyway, because it is part of the care plan. Don't be alarmed. They're not doing it because they think the person comes in and they will die very quickly. It is so it it is in place. It will be reviewed regularly needs to be done the last few hours days will be challenging some people are more agitated some people are quite peaceful but it is a process that the person will go through in order to the body doing what it's doing which is shutting down and then stopping and i found that some people find it very difficult not just because of the hydration issue how the person is breathing heavily and they demand for the person to go to hospital. This is not for me or for anyone to tell a person how to to deal with that. But all I wanted to highlight here is to think very carefully. It could be a kind of a panicked reaction to something that is actually a natural process. Maybe able to help with some medication to calm the person down if they're ag- agitated. But going to hospital, people need to ask themselves why and what is the consequence of that. So somebody can go through all of this in their own room, with their family around them, with the music or the lights or etc., and hopefully with medication and the staff will be there. Or they can be put in an ambulance, and go through A&E, how long they'll be there, I don't know. And even if they do get to a ward, there isn't much else that can be done for them and they may be on their own or maybe have one person with them in a shared room, etc. So just a note for people to remember that and consider what can be gained for that. And again, the team in the care home, the GP will be there to advise, but the decision is in the end with with those people, unless there is a specific reason to go to hospital, and sometimes there is a reason. But there is more and more acknowledgement and recognition about the benefits of people dying at home, which is their care, the care home is their home. Uh, There are schemes that uh, care homes sign up to, and which um, guide them to kind of recognize when people are at the end of life and how to work with them and with the family to make it as good an experience as is possible, which is really what we are talking about. And that experience and avoiding the pressure of making decisions such that I talked about going into hospital, medication and hydration, how that experience is lived by the relatives can impact so much about how they feel after. Um, I hope our listeners won't take it the wrong way, but I used to talk with my staff and say, there is no dress rehearsal. We have to get it right the first time because there is no doing it again. And the consequences of getting it right are amazing for everyone concerned. Yes, you're sad. Yes, you're grieving. Yes, you're feeling probably some guilt. Was I a good daughter? Did I do this? Was I here enough? But it's the natural process. Getting it wrong can haunt people for a very long time and maybe never be resolved for the people who are left behind. They are the only one who will, who can, be, you know, bear that that re- sense that they maybe didn't do it right. So again, a reason to, to talk about it and to plan as much as is possible. And if things go not according to plan, well, that is life.
1: I had an experience um, a few years ago, uh, a A friend was going to pass within a couple of days and the people looking after him called his close friends to say would you like to come and say goodbye and it was really nice to have that chance to go and see him however when I went there were other people in the room there was noise and I didn't really get that chance to spend a few moments with him, just me and him. He couldn't, he didn't know I was there. He was unconscious. Mm. His breathing was shallow. And indeed he died maybe 24 hours later. But I never got that m- moment of mm. peace with him, which would have been so nice. Yeah. No, that
0: that, that is exactly, that drew and you can imagine this is obviously multiple multiplied when it's a parent or or a spouse the positive side to what i'm saying is those few hours or days can be so precious and they can be made precious and if the decisions the main decisions have been made and all that people need to do now is be together with their loved one. And people use that time in a different way. Not everybody can be close. COVID, people couldn't be close, which was a whole other uh, chapter. Um, but they can, there can be a lot put in place to make it precious time. And we know that even more after COVID, when we were denied that time. I lost my own father during the end of COVID, couldn't go and we know we, 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 we accepted it because the whole world was experiencing the, th- the same. But now I think it makes it even more obvious to us as to what can be lost if we don't, if we don't have the chance to do it. So again, I'm asking people to, to consider it. Don't ignore it. It's coming to, for all of us. We may be scared. We may need support to talk about it. But the more you put in, the better chance there is that it is as good an experience as it can be. And, you know, it isn't always, but at least we do and we need to try. And to kind of wrap this bit up is that not to forget the the emotional and spiritual side of things. People may want a, a, a priest. Or a rabbi, or some other form of, I don't know, uh, rites uh, to 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 be performed. And again, they need they can put it into their wishes. And when it's known, everything will be done to allow them to to have what they want.
1: Finally, I just want to share one more story with our listeners. I was with a family member a few years ago and she was in hospital in her own room and it was my turn to stay with her during the night and at about six in the morning I woke up and she seemed to be on the edge of death. A nurse came in and confirmed this with me and I was with her. Alone as she passed away in, those, in that final moment. And I must say, even though the grief came to us all afterwards, being with her was a very, very powerful human experience for me. It was a privilege to be with her. But more than that, I felt. My senses were heightened as a human being during those moments. I'll never forget it. And afterwards, I cleaned up the room and the sun was shining through. And then her relatives started arriving. And then the grief comes. But I did feel extremely alive at that point. And for me, it was a a life... Affirming experience?
0: Well, I think there's nothing more life affirming than death or being near it because, yes, it, it, it reminds us of our own mortality. And maybe this is why some people avoid it because it's too scary, too unknown. We don't talk about it, so people don't know how to talk about it. Um, you had an amazing experience. Um, it's very personal and I think that I would not and this is not what we're trying to do here is to tell people how to deal with this difficult time but how to prepare for it and what to consider so it's the best for them Um, and there is support out there whether it's bereavement and and other um, and for people to, to access that. They think can be before, because they know that it's coming, um, and after. And again, we talk about a lot about family, but again, in care homes for older people, one thing is the children, of course, the, 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 the people, um, the next generation, but a lot of the times it's a spouse who themselves may be frail, finding it difficult, maybe physically not being able to be there and being very scared about what happens after they're left on their own. So it's there's so many layers to it. But what we're trying to, I think, convey to people is it it's natural, especially in old age. Maybe it comes sooner than we think, but it is the natural end of the life cycle. I think when you were talking and you talked about connecting i think it's embracing embracing it as part of life as much as we can and if we find it difficult seek help talk about it ask about it don't think it's a taboo that nobody will want to talk about and again if family and others are not then there are services out there and again if you go to church if you're part of a maybe a synagogue or a mosque or There are the other frameworks that will very much support the way that it is done in in your world that that you might feel is appropriate. So before we come to the end, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is what happens in a care home once the person has passed away, once the person has died. Uh, Again, because we promise not to avoid things that might be a little bit uncomfortable or perceived to be uncomfortable. So the first thing that will happen is when the person has passed away is um, that somebody will verify the death. That means somebody needs to confirm that the person has indeed died. There are a few checks that they need to and uh, this can be done by a health professional who um, was trained to do it so it's likely there will be somebody in the care home who can do that Uh, and if not then it will be either a paramedic that was called if if an ambulance was called or the GP and the GP will have to be called anyway in order to certify the death, a death like a birth needs to be registered there need to be a death certificate that will show the time and the date of the death and the cause of death as determined by the person who is issuing it which is normally a GP. There may be a delay if somebody dies at 11 o'clock at night it may be that the GP will not come till the next morning. And if it's a weekend, it may be a bit later. But there are circumstances where the GP will not be able to sign the death certificate. And these are either when the death was unexpected or suspicious and or if the GP did not see this person within 28 days prior to the death. In many of the care homes, when somebody is known to be nearing end of life, the GP sees them on a regular basis. They may not need treatment. Of course, they check how they are, etc. But they also do that because it means that they will be able to then sign the death certificate. Because if they can't, then it has to be referred to the coroner, regardless if there was anything suspicious or, or, or sudden about or unexpected about it. Um, and if it does, it doesn't mean that there will be an autopsy or anything, but it means there is a delay, a slight delay, and then maybe the police has to be called. All sorts of things that most of the time, don't end up in anything, not suggesting there's anything criminal, but it is for protection. Just because somebody is very old, why should we just say, Oof, it's because they were old? They deserve the, the equality that all of us will. If, if, if one of us suddenly dies, the police will be called and they need to, make, to reassure themselves That there hasn't been foul play then of course if the family wasn't there they will be notified it always helps that if the care home notifies one person they will then notify the rest of the family the people in the home won't be able to sit and talk to so many uh, people of the same family most care homes will ask the member of the family to go and register the death there is a form they will have all the details and the death certificate to take with them. Um, the body will probably be removed, if possible, after the death certificate was signed. But if there is a delay, such as a long weekend, with the agreement of the GP, etc., the, sometimes the body can be transferred to the funeral directors where it's stored until everything else is done. But it has been verified. And then I think, depending on the care home, and then again, a conversation that can be had between the family and the care home is, will they allow some prayers or rituals, different faiths have things that they would like to have done maybe where the person has died. And with discussions, most homes will allow for things to happen, some of them will even allow for something like awake to take place. So all these conversations, again, are um, conversations to take place. Again, it can be even in the advanced wishes to say this is what I would like to have happened. And just to remind listeners, particularly family, is that the people in the care home have looked after that person sometimes for years but maybe even just for months and through these last few days they are themselves grieving often they feel the pain it's not the same relationship but it's a close relationship and they may not say it they don't feel necessarily that they have a right to kind of claim um, to the, the, the grief that they feel but um, it's always nice when family acknowledge that uh, and allow them to grieve themselves in many care homes people like to send at least representation to the funeral burial um, both to show respect but also because they feel that their own need to say their goodbyes so I think this is where we'll stop, Drew. It's been both difficult but a privilege to talk about. This is something that is very close to my heart and much of my career was to encourage open openness and open conversations um, about end-of-life care. And again, over the almost 25 years, I know that things have progressed a huge amount Uh, and hopefully this little episode will also help those listening to it to be more aware
1: lastly we recognize that this is obviously a difficult subject painful for many of our listeners so we've got some resources that can help with this if you go to gov.uk and you search for death or bereavement, there are some good resources there. There's also Hospice UK, that's one word, hospiceuk.org. And finally, look for the thegoodgrieftrust.org. And they've all got good resources for those in need of them. So, Gabriella, what are we going to be discussing in our next episode?
0: The next episode, uh, we will be joined by our guest, Caroline, who will share with us and our listeners her experience of looking after her father at home all the way until he died and how she coped uh, the joys and the pains of this uh, period And again, as always, personal stories, personal experiences have a great value. And we're very grateful for her for sharing that with us. So until next time.
1: Goodbye, everyone.
0: Goodbye.